Have you ever had a time where you said something and the moment you said it, you wish you could unsay it? So I'm not the only one. Yeah, I can remember back to when I was in fifth grade and my math teacher said to me, it would do you a great deal of good if you could work on preventing some of the things that come out of your mouth coming out of your mouth. (laughs) So I've been working on it for a number of years and I feel like I've learned from some of those mistakes along the way certainly, but if I've learned one thing, I've learned this. It's far more fun to learn from somebody else's mistakes than my mistakes. Are you with me on that one? Yeah, we, we want to learn. And it's far better to learn from someone else's mistakes. Today we're going to read a story in Joshua that gives us great opportunity to learn from someone else's mistakes. We're going to read in Joshua chapter 7. If you remember with me, Joshua chapter 6 ended with God's great victory over Jericho. And the end of Joshua 6 was this statement that the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout all the land. I mean, this is how you would want a story to end. It looks like everything is absolutely wonderful. But we know sometimes there is more to a story than what meets the eye. Joshua chapter 7 verse 1. The Israelites, however, were unfaithful regarding the things set apart for destruction. Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the things of what was set apart, and the Lord's anger burned against the Israelites. You remember back in chapter 6, verse 18? Look back at verse 18. Keep yourselves from the things set apart, or you will be set apart for destruction. If you take any of those things, you will set apart the camp of Israel for destruction and make trouble for it. God had made it clear what his people were to do and what they were not to do when they went into Jericho. And the first sentence of the story unfolding in chapter 7 is about Achan who disregarded the command of the Lord and took things under ban. Look at verse 2. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and told them, go up and scout out the land. So the people went up and scouted out Ai. After returning to Joshua, they reported to him, Don't send all the people. Send about two or 3,000 people to attack Ai, since the people of Ai are so few. Don't wear out all our people there. You know, this is kind of like the movie or the TV show you're watching, and it has this this scene that gives you, the, 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 the audience, perspective into what's unfolding. And you see that people are fixing to do something terrible and you're screaming out at the screen, don't do it, don't do it. This is that moment because we've been told something terrible has occurred and it will cost everyone far more than they can imagine. We know what's coming. 
You, you just ask yourself the question, wait a minute, why, why didn't Israel ask the Lord about his plan for taking Ai? I mean, if you remember, the, the, pl- the plan, the battle plan for taking Jericho was pretty unusual. Let's march around the city a bunch of times. The walls are going to come down when you shout, blow the trumpets. It's a pretty unorthodox battle plan. And here we get to Ai, and what do the people do? There's no record of inquiry. God, what is the strange plan now? No, it's just an assumption. Hey, we don't have to send up hardly anybody. We got this. Little did the people know what it would feel like when God was not fighting their battle. Let's keep reading the story. Verse 4. So about 3,000 men went up there, but they fled from the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down about 36 of them and chased them from outside the city gate to the quarries, striking them down on the descent. As a result, the people lost heart. Some of your translations will read here, their hearts became like water. You know what we've seen through the entire book of Joshua so far? Is God communicating to his people, I'm with you. Be of great courage. Don't be afraid. And we see that as God demonstrates his presence among the people, that the people of the land become terrified. And now we see a complete reversal. It's as if the hearts of the people are strong with courage, like a block of ice. They are strong with courage. But now, in the heat of this devastation and loss, Their hearts have melted into a puddle of water, fear, and terror. This was not how it was supposed to go. Verse 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell down to the ground on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, as did the elders of Israel. They all put dust on their heads. O Lord God, Joshua said, Why did you ever bring these people across the Jordan to hand us over to the Amorites for our destruction? If only we had been content to remain on the other side of the Jordan. What can I say, Lord, now that Israel has turned its back and run from its enemies? When the Canaanites and all who live in the land hear about this, they will surround us and wipe out our name from the face of the earth. Then what will you do about your great name? Joshua is on his face before the Lord and he utters the question. We know it well. Why? Why is this happening? Why has this trouble come upon us? If we are your people, why this? Why is this happening? We all have likely been tempted to ask that question or we have asked that question of the Lord. Or some point in the future, we will ask the question, 
Why is this trouble in my life? Well, Joshua asks the question, and then he hears the Lord's response. Verse 10, the Lord then said to Joshua, Stand up! Why have you fallen face down? That's the moment that when Joshua hears God say that is probably the moment when Joshua wishes he could unsay his question, why is this trouble happening? God says to Joshua, this is not the moment to be on your face. That was back when you were on holy ground. This is a different moment. Get up. I'm going to tell you what's wrong. Look what he says. Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant that I appointed for them. They have taken some of what was set apart. They have stolen, deceived, and put those things in their own belongings. This is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They will turn their backs and run from their enemies because they have been set apart for destruction. I will no longer be with you unless you remove from among you what is set apart. Joshua, I am not the problem. God tells Joshua the problem is sin in the camp. Verse 13, he tells Joshua, go and consecrate the people. Tell them to consecrate themselves for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There are things that are set apart among you, Israel. You will not be able to stand against your enemies until you remove what is set apart. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe the Lord selects is to come forward clan by clan. The clan the Lord selects is to come forward family by family. The family the Lord selects is to come forward man by man. The one who is caught with the things set apart must be burned along with everything he has because he has violated the Lord's covenant and committed an outrage in Israel. You know, the most interesting aspect of what the Lord just says to Joshua is he says, tomorrow, tomorrow, I'm going to bring judgment tomorrow. Today, consecrate yourselves. Everybody is supposed to get their hearts right before me today because tomorrow I'm bringing judgment. Do you, do you feel the delay of God's judgment? That tomorrow is a massive window of opportunity where God has delayed judgment so that today one could walk through the window of mercy. And I wonder, why did Achan not walk through the window of mercy? Hour after hour, minute after minute, the clock kept ticking and Achan did nothing. 
You know, the Bible tells us that God desires to show mercy far more than he desires to bring judgment. Think back to one of the stories in the scripture where judgment falls on perhaps one of the most vile cities in history, Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you remember that story in the scripture where God determined he would tell Abraham of the coming judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah? And Abraham says to the Lord, listen, if there are 50 people in Sodom and Gomorrah that care about you, would you not spare the whole city for those 50 people? And God says to Abraham, yes, I would spare the city, but there's not 50. And, and Abraham says, well, would five people make the difference? I mean, if there's 45, would you not spare this? Yes, for 45. What about for 40? God, would you be patient with me? What about for 30? God, forgive me. What about for 20? Don't be angry. But what about for 10? And God says, yes, even for 10. I'll spare the city. You see, God's desire is for mercy far more than his desire is for judgment. And until every opportunity runs out, his judgment will not fall. He is delaying judgment again and again, creating windows of mercy. And God said, even for ten. Then you know what happened. There were not ten there. But don't miss the fact that before judgment fell on Sodom and Gomorrah, God sent in his messengers and got out the four who were there. God desires mercy far more than judgment. In James chapter 2 verse 13, the scripture says that mercy triumphs over judgment. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, the Lord entreats us to confess our sins and find in our confession forgiveness, a removal of that unrighteousness, a cleansing of that uncleanness because of the faithfulness of God found in Jesus Christ. In verse 10, he says, If we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar, and the truth is not in us. Oh, why did Achan act like he'd not sinned? miss the window of mercy. In Ezekiel chapter 33, I want you to hear what God says. This reveals his heart in such a marvelous way in light of the story of Achan. Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 14. God says, so when I tell the wicked person, you will surely die. Isn't that what God said? You will surely die. But he repents of his sin and does what is right and just. He returns collateral, makes restitution for what he has stolen, and walks in the statutes of life without committing injustice. He will certainly live. He will not die. None of the sins he committed will be held against him. He has done what is just and right. He will certainly live. When God said, tomorrow judgment is coming. Today, consecrate yourselves. 
he opened a window of hope. Achan didn't want it. Verse 16. Joshua got up early the next morning. He had Israel come forward tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was selected. He had the clans of Judah come forward, and the Zerahite clan was selected. He had the Zerahite clan come forward by heads of families, and Zabdi was selected. Then he had the Zabdi's family come forward man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was selected. So Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to God, the God of Israel, and make a confession to him. This this is not the confession that Achan had the opportunity to make before this roll call of judgment. This moment is an admission in light of imminent judgment. Joshua tells Achan, don't hide anything from me. And Achan replied to Joshua, it is true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I did. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful cloak from Babylon, five pounds of silver and a bar of gold weighing a pound and a quarter, I coveted them and took them. You can see for yourself, they are concealed in the ground inside my tent. The silver under the cloak. So Joshua sent messengers who ran to the tent. And there was the cloak concealed in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from inside the tent. They brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites. And they spread them out in the Lord's presence. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the cloak, the bar of gold, his sons and daughters, his ox, donkey, sheep, his tent, all that he had, and brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you brought us trouble? Today the Lord will bring you trouble. So all Israel stoned them to death. They burned their bodies. They threw stones on them and raised over him a large pile of rocks that remains still today. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, that place is called the Valley of Achor, still today. You know, Achan's name means trouble. And Achan and his family chose to hide their sin in the window of God's mercy. And judgment fell. And it is terrible. They piled up some rocks that day. This pile of rocks was different than the pile of rocks they piled up when they crossed the Jordan River on dry ground. Remember that pile of rocks? That pile of rocks spoke of the message of God's deliverance, faithfulness, and presence. This pile of rocks 
has a different message in the valley of Achor, the valley of trouble. But Achan's story doesn't have to be our story. We can learn from Achan. And I pray today we will learn. Every one of us has times in our life where we ask the question, why is this trouble in my life? If you haven't asked that question in your lifetime, I suspect you're going to have an opportunity at some point in the future to ask that question. I, I think it's pretty realistic to say that we've all felt like asking that question or actually we've actually asked it of the Lord, why is this trouble in my life? Why is this happening to me? God, if you're here, why? If you learn anything from the story today, what I hope that you learn is that when we ask the question of why is there trouble in my life, we should do everything possible not to ask the question, why is there trouble in my life, with the assumption that the problem is with God. The problem of why is there trouble in my life is never because of God. If God communicates anything to Joshua and the people that he's communicating, that the, the real issue here that they cannot miss is that God is the solution to the trouble in their life. Do you know that every time you want to ask the question, why is there trouble in my life, that God is the solution who will carry you through that moment of trouble, no matter its reason? God is not the problem when there's trouble. God is the answer to our trouble. So what is the answer to the question, why is there trouble? I want to give you three answers to that question. The first answer to the question, why is there trouble in my life, is there's not really trouble at all. God, why is this trouble in my life? There's not really trouble at all. Back in 1985, I was a high school student, and I was working one of my very first jobs as a high school student, sacking groceries at United Grocery Store. It was a great job. Not really. It was a job. And I'll never forget the summer of 1985. One of the most unbelievable things happened in grocery store life, maybe in the last 40 years. The summer of 1985 is the summer when Coca-Cola decided to introduce new Coke. One of the worst business failures in our lifetimes. I'll never forget working there because it was just crazy what people were doing. People, when the news came out that the Coke was no longer going to be available and new Coke was coming out, people went berserk. I can remember carting out to people's cars cases and cases of Coke. 
They wanted the old Coke. They didn't want anything to do with the new Coke. Then when the new Coke came in, nobody wanted to buy it. It just sat there on the shelves, and it was as if I were to blame for Coca-Cola's decision. People would get angry at me. Why haven't you got the old Coke? How come you're out of it? I'm like, it's not my fault. It was unbelievable what was going on that summer. Do you know how long that mistake lasted? 77 days. 77 days later, Coca-Cola reintroduced Coca-Cola Classic and got rid of New Coke. This is real. It's crazy. There was a guy named uh, Sergio Zyman. He was the guy in charge of making the change to New Coke. How would you like to be that guy? Cost the company $100 million just like that. He left the company. You know, they've been in a 20-year market decline, and Pepsi was beating them out for two decades. And they're just looking for a way to reestablish themselves as the marketplace leader. In 1993, do you you know who Coca-Cola hired as the head of marketing? Sergio Zyman. Because you see, a long enough time had passed for them to recognize that one of the great failures in the moment had actually been a turning of the tide in the marketplace. Why is this troubling my life? And God says to you, you don't see a big enough picture to be able to recognize that the thing you call trouble in the moment, one day you will not call trouble at all. When the milk is spilt, don't forget God owns the cow. Just hang on. Hang on long enough to see That God is good and kind in all that he does. That's one answer. Here's answer number two. Why is this trouble in my life? Well, because we live in a broken world. And the sins of other people can dramatically and negatively affect our lives. We're living in a world that's broken and the sins of others does affect our lives. And there are times when trouble comes into our lives, just like in this story. I mean, all of Israel had obeyed the Lord in His command, except Achan and his family. And trouble comes on all the nation because of one man and one family's sin against God. And there are times when the sins of others dramatically affect our lives. And I want to unpack the implications of that when we deal with Joshua chapter 8. So we'll we'll get to that one. But the third answer, why is there trouble in my life? My sin. I have sinned against the Lord. That's Achan's story. Trouble came into his life and the life of his family because he sinned against the Lord. And Achan's story is not the story we want. 
And I'm grateful to God that there is a better story to be had even when trouble is in my life because of my sin. Let me tell you some things about sin. Sin brings trouble. Because sin destroys our lives. So when we walk into sin, there is going to be an accompanying trouble to that sin. Additionally, there are times when God adds to the trouble of sin. But the reason that God has designed sin to bring trouble and at times adds trouble to our sin is because God intends that the trouble of sin lead us to the forgiveness found only in his mercy. Trouble accompanies sin by God's design so that we would, in the trouble, run back to God in his mercy and find forgiveness. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, the Lord encourages us not to miss the discipline of God. Because the training of God's discipline, trouble in our sin, brings us into the fruit of his mercy. God actually told his people in Deuteronomy chapter 8, he said to these people that we're tracking through the promised land, he said to these people, listen, I want you to know that the reason you spent the last 40 years in the wilderness was not just because of the sins of your parents. No, I want you to know that the trouble that has come into your lives through the sins of your parents is a trouble that I am using over these four decades to get you to the place where you obey me. So that when you walk into the land, you enjoy its fruit for your life and generations to come. The trouble is in your life. So that you might experience redemption. Let me tell you something else about sin. No one sins in a vacuum. You, you, you cannot manage your hidden sin in such a way. That your hidden sin does not dramatically affect somebody else. Particularly people you love and care about in the worst of ways. You, you, you cannot and you will not ever sin in a vacuum. Your sins, my sins deeply affect the people around us. Some interesting st statements that the Lord makes in his word about, about our sins. And he says in Proverbs, 
verse 28, I mean chapter 28, verse 13. The one who conceals his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. You you cannot hide your sin. It cannot be hidden. It cannot be managed and kept secret. It's impossible for us to hide our sin and manage it to the point that we will not affect somebody else. Do you know know what happens in our lives when we try to hide our sin? We waste away. I want want you to listen to Psalm uh, 32. Psalm 32, listen to this. How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity, in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. If you try to manage your sin and keep it hidden and figure out a way so you don't have to walk through the difficulty of sin being exposed, you know what you're actually doing? You're not hiding sin at all. You're simply just revealing at a very slow pace the the devastation that sin is bringing in your life. Because you cannot hide it. You see, confession brings joy. You know what hiding sin brings? A wasting away. You cannot hide wasting away, even if it's a slow reveal. Trying to hide sin is a slow reveal. And that's why confession now is always better than confession delayed. You know what delaying confession does? It just increases the destruction of sin. And it puts you at great risk for those windows of mercy that could turn your brokenness into redemption to shut. Just imagine with me for a second, several generations after those rocks were piled up in the valley of Achor. And a family, a young family from the tribe of Judah is walking through the land God had given them. And they walk along the edge of the land allotted to the tribe of Judah and there they see a pile of rocks. And as they walk by the land of Judah, one of the kids says to the mom and dad, Hey, mom and dad, why are these rocks piled up like this? And dad says, let me tell you the story about our family. Many, many years ago, he tells the story of Achan and he says, these rocks tell a story 
of what happens when you hide sin. But kids, that doesn't have to be our story. Because I want to tell you another message these rocks are saying. There was a time when the prophet Isaiah said, there's coming a day when I will make the valley of Achor a place where cattle lie down. Because my people sought me. I want to tell you about the prophet Hosea. Who said there's coming a day. For my people. When I make the valley of Achor. The gateway of hope. These stones. Are crying out. So that our story. Would be a story of hope. And redemption. As we live. Honestly and transparently before the Lord, confessing our sin to him and to our family for his glory. There's coming a day, there's coming a morning when God will give a roll call. When that roll is called, everyone, will give an account for every word they spoke and every action they committed. And on that day, we want to be grateful that on this day, we chose to confess our sins to the Lord and find redemption. Let me tell you how the Lord works. This week when I was preparing this sermon, a brother in Christ reached out to me while I'm working on this sermon, typing in these words that I want to share with you. And this is what he said. I need to tell you about some sin in my life I've been hiding. I want to stop hiding. I'm ready to repent. I'm ready to live transparently before the Lord and before others. Will you pray for me? Is that a coincidence? No. That man knows what we should all realize this morning. When the gateway of hope is open, we better run into that gateway.